Welcome back to the podcast. This podcast is designed for the OB-GYN clerkship students that are currently on rotation. We cover a range of topics that are mostly the educational topics as outlined at the APCO website, www.apco.org backslash students. Today, we're going to be covering educational topic number 11, which is intrapartum care. Our guest for today is Dr. Sam Wen, who is an excellent resident that's here at the Hershey Medical Center with us and will be helping us work through a case and answer some questions. Sam, this is a 23-year-old G1P0 at 38 weeks pregnant. She's presenting to labor and delivery, complaining of a five-hour history of painful contractions. Her contractions are occurring every five minutes and lasting 45 to 60 seconds. She denies leaking fluid or any bleeding from the vagina and does note normal fetal movement. In reviewing her chart, you find that she has had an uncomplicated prenatal course. She had a 17-week ultrasound that showed a normal male fetus. That was consistent with her LMP dating. A screening culture at 36 weeks for a group B strip was done, and her cervix at her 36-week exam was closed and long. Her blood pressure today is 96 over 54, heart rate's 92, respiratory rate 20, temperature 98 degrees Fahrenheit. Leopold's reveals a fetus with a back that is palpable on the right side of the maternal abdomen, and the vertex is palpable through the maternal abdomen just below her symphysis pubis. Fetal heart rate is 150 beats per minute, with moderate variability and accelerations and no decelerations. On the monitor, she has contractions every three minutes. Her cervix is examined and she's three centimeters dilated, 50% effaced, and the fetal vertex is at zero station. The remainder of the physical exam is unremarkable. First question, Sam, is this patient in labor? And if so, what elements of this case does support a diagnosis of labor? So that's a tough one to try to figure out right off the bat. First, we have to figure out what labor actually means. Um, true labor is defined as progressive dilation and effacement of the cervix in response to regular uterine contractions. False labor is defined as contractions at term that do not result in cervical change and are often called Braxton Hicks contractions. For her, it's possible that she may be in true labor as her cervix has changed from her prior exam. However, we don't know what her exam will be in the next two hours to truly determine whether her uh, dilation will be progressing. So what you're saying, I guess, is that we should wait, give her more time and reassess the cervix in a couple of hours to see if the contractions that she's actually having are leading to cervical change. Exactly. Awesome. So in addition to determining whether this patient is in labor or not, what should be included in the initial evaluation of this patient who is presenting in labor? One of the first things that anyone asks a medical student in their evaluation of a patient is how far along they are. So the first step is to truly establish the gestational age by comparing their uh, estimated due date by what criteria it's um, created, such as by the last menstrual period, by sonography, or by physical exam, um, such as a fundal height. It's also really important to identify any maternal medical or obstetrical complications in the pregnancy by looking at their patient records as well as performing a focused history and physical exam. Um, within the history as well as the records, it should identify any issues with the fetus, such as growth restriction um, or any kind of fetal abnormalities. And then the next step would be to review any labs that are pertinent, such as her positive group beta strep. It's important to identify her vital signs as well as her clinical picture when she first presents to labor and delivery to identify any new maternal conditions that could impact your um, management of her labor, such as preeclampsia or any kind of signs of infection, such as chorioamnionitis. 
Um, it's really important to look at the fetal heart tracing. So um, this can be done with electronic fetal monitoring as or by bedside ultrasound. And the ultrasound can also be useful in identifying uh, the correct fetal presentation in addition to the Leopold maneuvers that were performed. One of the most important parts of the physical exam is to really check the cervix and identify their dilation, effacement, and station. All right, so what is the stage and phase of labor for this patient? So let's go over what the stages and phases are. The first stage of labor is the onset of labor to full cervical dilation. This is then divided into two phases, the first being the latent phase and the second being the active phase. The latent phase is the onset of labor to the beginning of the active phase. More recently, there's been a change in what the definition of the active phase is. In a lot of books, it's defined as four centimeters dilation, whereas more recently in clinical use, it's been up to six centimeters dilation. Active phase is defined as the period of rapid cervical dilation, typically one to two centimeters per hour, by which 60% of patients reach um, latent to active phase transition um, by four centimeters dilation and 90% by six, six centimeters dilation. Stage two of labor is from complete dilation to delivery of the infant. And stage three is delivery of the infant to delivery of the placenta, which is typically up to 30 minutes. Stage four is the delivery of placenta to approximately two hours after. Um, the Friedman curve by which this is defined is falling out of favor, but this is still important historically. Intervention should still be considered based on the specific circumstances involving each laboring patient. And we talk more about this in our podcast on abnormal labor. Um, what are your next steps in management of this patient? So the first step is that now that we know that her group beta strep is positive, we want to appropriately prophylax her by giving her penicillin as long as she is not penicillin allergic. Um, we would want to have her fetus on the monitor and perform heart rate monitoring. This can be performed with the external straps or by internal monitors. Um, Typically, at our institution, we do do continuous monitoring. However, there are certain patients who would be candidates for intermittent monitoring. Um, uterine contraction monitoring is also very important. This can be done externally or internally as well. And it's important to serially assess the progress of the labor, labor, as I mentioned, by checking her cervix again in a few hours to assess whether there has been any progress. It's also really important to look at the patient in front of you and see how they're doing with regards to pain as labor is known to be a very painful process. Does this patient have any options for pain management? In order to consider what her pain management options are, it's important to understand how the pain pathways work. Uterine contractions and cervical dilation result in visceral pain. This is typically noted from T10 through L1. Descent of the fetal head and subsequent pressure on the pelvic floor, vagina, and perineum also generates somatic pain that's transmitted by the pedendal nerves S2 to S4. Knowing these pain pathways, the anesthesia options that will be typically seen are systemic narcotics that can be administered through the IV, as well as the epidural. There are non-medication options, which are typically more conservative, and these include going to Lamas classes in order to adequately prepare for the expectation of pain during labor. Got it. So... Now, Dr. Wen, could you describe the process by which the fetus descends through the birth canal and the steps of the vaginal delivery? Sure. The way that the fetus descends through the pelvis is through a number of uh, various flexions and rotations called the cardinal movements of labor. The first is engagement, followed by descent, flexion, internal rotation, extension, external rotation, and subsequently expulsion.
Awesome. And hopefully many of you guys will have the opportunity to participate in uh, vaginal deliveries during the course of your rotation here and can practice and review these steps as you're doing so. Dr. Wen, what other methods of delivery if this patient had not been able to push effectively or if there was fetal intolerance of labor had, that had developed, what other modes of delivery are there available to her? There are essentially two other categories of operative delivery modes. The first one would be operative vaginal delivery either by forceps or vacuum. The second would be by cesarean delivery. It's important to consider what the indications are for operative delivery with there being three main categories. The first being maternal indications, for example, poor expulsive effort secondary to maternal exhaustion. Secondly, we would do for fetal indications, such as if the baby doesn't tolerate labor, or if there's any kind of anomaly or malformation that would make them more likely to uh, be intolerant of labor. Lastly is abnormal labor with an arrest of dilation in the active phase. Dr. Wen, thank you so very much for reviewing intrapartum care with us today. We look forward to doing more cases with you in the future. I'm looking forward to it.